I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey guys, welcome back to Soul Sisters. I'm Jesse Katz I'm and Dara. I'm here with Dara Golub, who is the voice of the Jewish High Holidays. If you turn oh. to JBS... With your 92-year-old grandmother. No, she's 91. Sorry, Grandma. Um, wanting to watch a little New Year's services, you might hear Dara I calling think, to you. I think this is the reveal of that on this podcast. Oh, yes. This yes. is the first time we're kind of ex- exposing that. Dara's double life yeah. comes out finally. And I have to say, that's very. that makes me very happy, that story of you with it your grandmother. It was amazing. That's amazing. I was having technical issues connecting my computer to the Wi-Fi so I could live stream this service. From New Central York City. Synagogue. Yes, in New York City, because my grandmother lives in the suburbs, and I was up there with her. She doesn't belong to a temple. But I was like, no, it's okay. We can still see a service. Did you just guess that you could see it on JBS? The no, Jewish then I saw like service? on my phone that it said that it was also going to be broadcast on JBS. And then it was like, check your local da, 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 to see if you have it. And I checked and they do have it. So I turned it on. And then I literally like turned the station on as you were speaking. And I was like, whoa. And then your dad came on. And then your dad was talking to me with his face that I know and love. And it was just Aww. like very intense. And I was like, Grandma, get in here. <laughs> I don't even know if I've really told you the full extent of my voiceover work. No, you tried to hide it from me. <laughs> and I've discovered it by like uh, searching through the website and stalking you on YouTube. Yeah. I've and discovered you, all of your little tricks. And if you turn it on, especially close to a holiday or any kind of large event, you'll uh-huh. hear it even more so. So the people promos. would be very surprised to hear um, the difference in octaves between your podcast voice <laughs> and your JBS voice. I've well honed the JBS, the Jewish Broadcasting Service <laughs> tenor yeah. and inflection. I one. Yeah. Um, but I'm actually, no, in all seriousness, I'm yes. really happy to promote it. Um, especially now, because yeah. for anyone who can't make it to a service, and that's what I literally say, for anyone who is unable to attend a synagogue service in person, please tune in to our live services from from Central Synagogue in New York City. Ooh, do you guys have chills like I do? <laughs> yeah, nice but it's a really wonderful service. It is, I service love Service that we provide and services for the High Holidays. Uh, they have beautiful voices. Mm-hmm. The singing in that service is amazing. And also, it looked like there were two women rabbis yeah. that were leading it this mm-hmm. year. They have uh, two women rabbis, maybe one as a cantor also, or I'm not I'm not sure, but a lot of females yeah. leading. And, and one of them looked like she was also, she had Asian hair. Yeah, she was Asian, Rabbi Bookdahl. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know, I don't know her exact descent but i was like oh 
Yeah. There's like a woman of color leading this Central service. Synagogue is a fantastic place and wonderful thing that we get to stream. We stream a lot of services, like Shabbat yeah. services every week. So Slam my teeth on. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. So happy. So did you and your grandmother watch? Yeah. Oh, and so she nice. didn't speak the entire time. And I was like, I don't know. She thinks this is weird. This is boring. This is a waste of time. And at the end, she was like, that was so beautiful. That was just really marvelous. I'm so happy we did it. I was I'm like, so glad. Okay. <laughs> It's nice. You could be in the comfort of your own home. It was great. I was lying in bed with my dog. It's great. Yeah. Anyway. Happy, happy New, New Year. Year. <laughs> I haven't seen you. Happy New That's Year. True. Happy Shout New Year. Yeah. Um, so anyway, back to this podcast <laughs> and our music life. Um, this episode. This guest is meaningful for my life and my growing up with my father as a musician yeah. and I spoke a lot about that in a very gushy way. Give us a little, just set us up for Melissa why Manchester. you and Melissa Manchester are a special duo. Melissa Manchester, um, her hit single back in the day was Don't Cry Out Loud, which we get into about how that's sort of a complicated thing to be like associated with as this like anthem, but it's a, it's a belty, you know, it's a great song. It's a, it's a, um, it's a song that I grew up with belting out as a four and five year old kid. Mm -hmm. um, it was just it somehow got into my sister sang it on a talent show and I just latched onto it. And my dad and I would sing it at the piano. And as this little pipsqueak, it was my song. And it's sort of the first song that I associate my own musicianship with and like and coming into, oh, I, I'm a singer and I want to be a singer and this is my thing. And so that's huge. It's, it's hugely meaningful for me. So meeting her was super cool. Yeah, and she was cool. She's awesome. Yeah. yeah, it was a really nice talk. Yeah, we did miss one thing. Yes. <laughs> we neglected, because we were caught up with other topics with her, we neglected to address the fact that she was on one of my favorite television shows of all time, which is Blossom. Mm -hmm. She played Blossom's mom. So this is more meaningful for you than it is for me. Blossom wasn't one of my childhood shows no. in the way that others are. I, was, okay. I watched it. But I couldn't, yeah. have I couldn't have called that Melissa Manchester was the mom. Um, yeah, I don't know what it was about Blossom. It was probably the fact that my mom was in love with a guy who played her dad. So I remember it was a show my mom and I would watch together for different reasons. Who played her dad, you know? I don't remember his name. <laughs> I think my mom knows his name still. Um, we know the brother, Joey. Yes, Joey Lawrence. And, of course, Maya Bialik is like a star again because of Big Bang Theory. Right. So there's a whole new generation that knows her from that. But she's always blossomed to me. Also, Jenna Von Oy, which is the greatest name six? of any actor in the world, played six. Jenna yeah. Von Oy? <laughs> yeah. Von Oy. O-I? Yeah. O-Y. Really? Yeah. Also, salt and Peppa made a cameo on that show. Oh, I'll never forget. You yes. know the show. Okay. Yes. So huge. Anyway, so she played Blossom's mom, who I remember was a character that was like in and out because I think she had left the family and... Uh, yeah, huh. she was like she was not a beloved character on the show. She was the deadbeat mom. Okay, yeah, that makes sense that she wasn't a constant. Character. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah. But anyway, still an important part of the Blossom canon. Yes, an important and part the of Dark the Blossom Manchester canon. canon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so that's it. So now you guys can hear uh, hear our chat with Melissa Manchester on Soul Sisters. Yeah. See you good back there. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> Melissa Manchester, welcome to Soul Sisters. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. I like to be among Soul Sisters. Yeah. <laughs> I do, yeah. We know you have some soul, so you're an appropriate guest for us Thank to have you. on here. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we were talking about how we're surrounded by Billboard history with these books, but you have a lot of Billboard history. Well, I so do. So you're also appropriate in that sense. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, I have come to Billboard to perform in the past. Uh-huh. And I've been in Billboard many times over the years. And so you've been, been on Billboard charts. Yeah. I have been on Billboard charts. Thank you. Since, since the 70s, yeah, I think. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So since that's pretty awesome. Thank you. 40-year <laughs> career. Uh, zeroing Four. in on 50. Oh, my goodness. Zeroing in on 50. We're up to about 47 now. Wow. And we were talking about how you just put out two albums, or two <laughs> albums were just put out. I know. One you knew I about, know. one you did. Yeah. I know. Well, one I was informed about, but yes, yeah. I, I've just released my 21st album called The Fellas. Congrats. Which is my tribute. It's a completion of an idea that started in 1989 when I had released an album called Tribute, which was a tribute to several of the women singers that meant everything to me. Uh-huh. And I always wanted to follow it up with, with one that pays homage to the men. Yeah. I love that you started with the women, though. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, women where else first. do you start? <laughs> exactly. They're the ones that gave birth after exactly. all. Anyway, <laughs> and the second one called Through the Eyes of Love is a compilation of every single that was released while I was at Arista Records for 12 years. So it's 43 wow. tracks. So someone, Crazy. someone, a lady collection. I know. Was putting this together, and then how did this like come into your consciousness that this was a because Jim Marchese, <laughs> who was who was in charge, had done an interview with, was doing an interview with me for the liner notes of Through the Eyes of Love. I said, "How exciting! This is really great." And then I told him about the fellas. He said, "When is that being released?" I said, "September 8th. And he went, "What?" <laughs> and so. They were both released just a few days ago. Forty-three tracks. Yes, wow. amazing. Yeah, very cool. I mean, it's nice. Like people who want the full um, breadth of your career, right, can get it right here. Because many artists don't have the full breadth. That's true. <laughs> they have a little well, gasp. Yeah. Twenty-one. Very happy true. to very take true. a deep true. breath and yes. a deep exhale. Yes. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Twenty-one albums is just a big, big breath. That's a feat. That's, that's I know, a feat. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So I want to tell you, if I may begin by, I'm going to try to get through this without gushing. Gosh. <laughs> totally fanning why, out. Why stop yourself now? Okay, right, okay. A year and a half into the podcast. <laughs> my famous gushing. Um, how deeply profound it is to meet you, because from my earliest memory as a, as a singer, a, really as a person, as a human being, mm-hmm. um, it has been, don't cry out loud. Yeah. And... Which is a very funny thing to think about now. First of all, Bette Midler is my ultimate icon mm-hmm. from growing up. She was she was everything to me. And mm-hmm. it wasn't even, even like the body burlesque kind of like performance that she's so famous for. And I like, mm-hmm. you know, that is so iconic in a way that is not for like a little kid to sort of get into. <laughs> mm-hmm. But for her film and uh, just her other musicality, I was mm-hmm. a huge fan. So sure. that's just the connection that you were in the Harlettes. I'd love to mm-hmm. hear you talk a little bit about that. Sure. But don't cry out loud. I'm five years old. My older sister sings it in a talent show, and it just like becomes my anthem. <laughs> and my dad, we sang at the piano all the time, and he would play, and I would belt that song out nice. to the point where we went on a vacation to Kutcher's like resort. Uh-huh. Wait, you've been to Kutcher's? Yeah. Uh-huh. Have we sure. I was like, about this? no. And he's proud to admit it. That's yeah. the important part. <laughs> no, yes. I, we went to Kutcher's for my grandparents' like 50th of wedding did. anniversary. Right. My parents used really? to go there once yeah. in a while. Sure. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Kutcher's is like 
Uh, it kind of reminded me of the place they go in Dirty Dancing. Like, yes, that yes, must have been yes, what it was like. Yes, Kutcher's, Grossinger's, all those places. Yeah, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. right. Kind of Jewish, like like summer camp for adults resort. and yeah. children. Yeah. So I, so my family went there, and there was a lounge singer there, mm-hmm. and I was this little. I don't know where the the balls came from, but I was like, I want to sing with you, and we kind of became friends. And she was like, What do you want to sing? <laughs> and it's don't cry out loud and the the like the level of belting out this song with all of the emotion is mm-hmm. like so funny to think about now but it's so much a part of my soul my yeah. musical like dna at this mm-hmm. point um so it's a real it's an incredible privilege to dara's have. been sitting on this story because yeah. i told her you were coming on so and sweet. she's like don't cry out loud <laughs> like, yeah and then she didn't tell me anymore i didn't know any of this yeah. even saving it's it that's right. I like so it. it's amazing to meet you and i'd love to hear your feelings about that song because now knowing the meaning of it as an adult Mm -hmm. you know it's tricky it's it's the message of the song don't cry out loud keep it inside learn how to hide your feelings it's an interesting song Mm -hmm. to me that doesn't matter because now it's a part of me and Mm -hmm. I think once a song gets into your soul that's also an interesting thing about pop music I think where the lyrics you can kind of it can become part of you and you just sing it and you don't really think about what might be the true meaning so can you tell us a little bit about your evolving or your forever feelings about this song well don't cry out loud was written by my very dear friends uh, peter allen and carol sager and it sounds uh similarly to lyrically to songs that I had written with Carol Sager. Carol was the common denominator between Peter and I, um, but I never wrote with Peter. When I first heard Don't Cry Out Loud, it was Peter's version. It was very quiet and it was very sweet, and I thought, oh, the perfect idea for a lullaby, incredible. And um, I brought it to Clive Davis, and, and the next thing I knew, because in those days, you sort of just showed up in the studio. You weren't really conferenced in on arrangements and stuff like that. And so I went into the studio and there was this massive anthemic arrangement, (laughs) which just, it it made my head explode because it wasn't my vision for the song at all. And so the performance that I gave was one of intense frustration, but it worked because it serviced the lyric. And, And the thing that serviced the lyric Equally was that the songs that Carol Sager and I wrote, because we were writing partners for five years, we only wrote about affirmation and and um, declaring our presence right. as young women and as human beings and all that. And suddenly I was singing a song that started with the word don't. Right. And I oh, thought, how is this going to work for the rest of my life? <laughs> and um, because I couldn't figure out what people were were resonating with, what they were connecting with. And um, in the end, I realized that the song is about what we all have to learn about, which is how to cope. Coping seems like a very glib answer to it, but the construction of the song is so unbelievable. The lyrical construction is superb. And if you look at the story, the really the inner life of, of the, the world of the story is about learning how to cope because no one will save you but you. Yeah. 
And it's to learn how to, well, she says learn how to hide your feelings. But but for me, the the reshaping of it so that I could wrap myself around right. it and was to learn how to cope. And P.S., I sing it very quietly now, which is the way that I had first. Oh, wow. So I, I reclaimed it ultimately. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, the lyric does go on fly high and proud. That's so, the thing. You know, it, that's there's the, thing. the back and forth. But that's so interesting that mm-hmm. you, do, do you get response from the different performers that people are like surprised to hear you sing it, not Quietly. in that belting way, yeah. Uh, they 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 lean in, okay, much deeper, yeah. and um, and they hear it differently oh, suddenly, wow. which is it's the magic of of music, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, that is fascinating. I mm-hmm. mean, <laughs> the line like "Remember, you almost had it all," right? When it's belted, heartbreaking. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. It's a heartbreaking yes, song. And, yes, and it is. And lyrically, lyrically, that is something that in those years Carol wrote a lot about about just missing things you know yeah um but anyway it was yeah it was a beautiful it's a beautiful achievement actually absolutely because it's so enduring yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um this this is a time jump but it reminds me that i wanted to ask you about your like how you what your personal feminism is now because i know you sang at the women's march this mm-hmm. year in los angeles and that was very important to you to be part of that in and front of seven hundred fifty thousand hey, of my neighbors it was incredible do you believe that many people turned out mm-hmm, i, I, I mean i was at the one in dc and mm-hmm. i thought that was going to be the big one and then we started hearing numbers in mm-hmm. la and i was like what mm-hmm. it's crazy yeah, it um because like thinking about lyrics like from that song you know it's, these are always complicated issues for women about what's what we're encouraged to do, how we keep ourselves safe. You know, mm-hmm. it's not always the safest thing to express your emotions. And we have to, like, hold each other up and be better about these things and, you know, march together sometimes <laughs> That's in right. times like these, you know. Mm-hmm. So, like, what I don't know. What was it like for you to sing at that march and to be part of that? And kind of where do you see yourself fit in as a public figure? That's a very interesting question. And thank you for asking that. Um when I first started writing with Carol, mm-hmm. uh, we did not know the women's movement. This was the early 70s. The mm-hmm. women's movement was this version of the women's movement was yeah. burgeoning still. Yeah. Gloria Steinem had just shown up. Ms. Magazine was just being published. Mm-hmm. And there was um, Ms. Magazine did a, a, a TV special called Woman Alive. And there was a segment. This is a long story. I'm sorry, but no, there's great. no way to shorten it. Go for it. But but there was a segment on Women Alive where uh, uh, a union work a union worker. She was trying to be an organizer. Her name was Crystal Lee Sutton, and she was telling her kids. She had just gotten out of jail, and she was telling her kids that each of them had a different father, so that they would be armed with that information before any of their school chums started to bully them about that information. Hmm. And a song that Carol Sager and I wrote called Home to Myself was used to underscore that piece. Mm. And Krista Lee Sutton was the prototype for the movie Norma Ray. Oh, wow. So suddenly a song that we had written, you know, at a piano in front of a blank sheet of paper mm. took on a new life. Mm. It was no longer mine. It belonged to a larger world. Um, and though our intention wasn't to be feminist we were young women writing from our experience because we had no other frame of reference we were feminists and I am a feminist and the song that I sang jumping forward to the march uh, in LA was a song that I recorded on my 20th album called I Know Who I Am and and the thing about that song 
is I couldn't have written it a moment before I wrote it because I have earned every line of that song. Oh, yeah. And I wrote it with um, Joanna, uh, Bar- uh, Greg Barnhill and Joanna Cotton. And, um, you know, the bridge, and I said to the to the throngs, and it was so incredible to see this peaceful mass of women and babies and grandparents and husbands and I mean entire I mean the police showed up at four o'clock I got there late because I was flying in from Boston the police showed up at four because they had to clean the streets because it would be a work day the next day and they saw that it was so peaceful that they just let it go they just said you know by six we do have to start cleaning up the streets but by the time I got on stage so many wise words had been conveyed and I finally said to the to the throngs all that's left is for me to recite a line and if you can echo it back that would be really lovely and I said I am I recited the bridge of of the song I am a woman who's worthy I am a woman deserving whatever it is I can take it whatever it takes I can make it and finally I know who I am and to hear 750,000 people echo those words back it was so it was so startling and thrilling and holding the center of a truth that all of us can claim whenever we wish it was really uh, magnificent Wow. Yeah. This is from your the album previous to the one that you, you just gotta love released. the life mm-hmm, you gotta life. love the life yeah and I was actually curious about that title and that's a track that's the title yeah. track to the song yeah. to the record yeah um, if that is sort of like a message to not only you to, to not only your your mm-hmm. fans but to yourself like mm-hmm. you gotta love the life as if it's like a pep talk you have to sort of convince yourself every now and then like this life is hard not only this life life but this artist life you know yeah, what you gotta you're love kind life. of referring yeah. to you gotta yeah i know who i am is is close to the end of the album but you gotta love the life is the title track and it's the first cut on the album yeah that came out of the fact that you know i've been doing this artistic walk for so long and i wanted to lay claim to what i have learned which is besides the fact that the audition is never over um that that though it is it is a rigorous walk because you have to keep reinventing yourself and always looking for the next dot to connect. Uh-huh. Um, the joy that keeps popping up, you know, for me, my favorite metaphor is grass cracking through concrete. And that's what joy is. It always breaks through because you don't need anything grand to happen to you. Joy is an inside job. You know, joy is that spiritual component. The No matter what, I will find the joy because it's such a privilege to walk the artistic walk, to me anyway. I love that joy is an inside job. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you got to love the life. So anyway, so that is about that is about the hunger of the artist. Yeah. Do you feel like you write more easily from a place of joy than a place of difficulty? Well, I write from a place of urgency. Mm. <laughs> when I have um, <clears throat> an idea, <clears throat> pardon me, come upon me, it's such a specific pull that um, it, it has a certain insistence to be expressed. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, to get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And at this point, I can feel when that happens. And it doesn't happen that often, but when it happens, it needs to have attention paid to it. And I never know what it means. If I hear a collection of words, if I was eavesdropping on you, which I probably would, uh, or you, which I probably would, um, if I heard a phrase, I never know if it's a title or part of a verse or who would be saying it, singing it. And then, um, you know, I describe songwriting as peeling an onion from the inside out, <laughs> you know, because you just you just don't know what the what the information is telling you yeah. until you write the whole song. So, yeah. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Are these lessons that you I'm sure you say that, you know, you mm-hmm. couldn't have written this song until this moment right. in your life. And right. is that, you know, how you feel about all of your work and did you learn, of course you're constantly learning, but did you learn specific things that you could say from Paul Simon? I who did. Who you studied uh, with yes, as a kid. Yes, like, yes. I mean, what, what unbelievable. was that like? I know, unbelievable. Um, I had gone to NYU School of the Arts for a minute, and <laughs> college was not for me. A minute, which is how long, actually? Ten, ten months. It okay. was, it was okay. one year, and though they invited me back, I said, I have to go back to work, but thank you yeah. very much. Because I was you know, I was a working woman by that point. But my two friends, Jeff Sweet and Brett Mitchell, Mitchell had continued on at NYU, and there was a scrap of paper, literally a torn piece of paper, on the bulletin board, because this is long before emails and all that. And it was uh, a class to be taught by Paul Simon about songwriting and record production. And Bridge Over Troubled Waters was number one all over the world, so we couldn't figure out that it would be that Paul, Paul Simon, Simon, formerly yeah. of Simon and Garfunkel. And, um, and he auditioned everybody, and um, I, I played him a song. And at that time, Laura Nero was my muse, so I would yeah, listen to her all great. the time. All the time. So Paul had me play a song, (laughs) and I said, play another song. (laughs) Okay. And I played another song. He said, play me one more song. And I played one more song. He said, do you listen to Laura Nero? I said, all the time, every day. He said, it's time to stop now. (laughs) But yeah. And he was right. And the the class was fascinating because he chose very different types of young people to be in the class. And the assignment was to write a song for each week, and somebody would be chosen, including him. And we would present the song and talk about the song. And, and um, yes, what he taught me, and it is what I teach forward to my students, 
is that all the stories have been told. It's the way you tell your story, which is your stamp of authenticity. Right. And in those days, people were literally making up language. You know, the Beatles had come up with Obladi, Oblada, Life Goes On. And of course, Laura Nira had sung, Can You Surrey? Can You Picnic? Yeah. Come on, come on, and Surrey Down. And mm. nobody knew what Surrey Down meant, but yeah. we all got what it meant. Right. You yeah, know, viscerally. Right. So. So yes, that is that is what it, you know. The whole I always wondered what's right, right. Well, Does it I not think mean anything? It, it doesn't really mean anything. Okay. Probably what it, you know, if she was dancing to it, it would be a sachet. It's, like it's a sachet, yeah, right? But but in those days, people were just making up language because <laughs> totally. they were rediscovering what the American popular song could be. Yeah, it was much more poetry uh -huh. involved. Uh -huh. You know, Joni Mitchell was showing up with much more poetry. Mm -hmm. Sly and the Family Stone was showing up with a lot of anthem things so um, it was very interesting time the you know and it was before electronics so the radio was really rocking with with new thoughts about lyric writing it was beautiful yeah wow. yeah I, I I read that you described yourself once as part of the bridge generation yes which mm -hmm. is sort of in between the American songbook mm -hmm. which was like pop music in the 1930s to 50s mm -hmm. like Broadway and and all those jazz classics, mm -hmm. and then into the new singer-songwriters of right. the 60s and 70s. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of straddle that. I did. And how pop music has obviously evolved and meant something different in every mm -hmm. era. Sure. But, um, yeah, I'm just wondering what you're, you know, <laughs> I don't know, where you feel it is now, and, and the idea of needing to reinvent yourself, as you said earlier. Like, do you need to try out electronic music and... And then I think for the for your last record, you you went back to went live back instrumentation to for the first time mm -hmm. in a while, yeah. and it's mm -hmm. like, you know, is there a is there a I don't know. Well, I think in the end result, I mean, first of all, it is what allowed me to record the fellas because that is the music of my childhood. Mm -hmm. That was when great singers had great songwriters still writing for them because mm -hmm. it was right before singer songwriter wave started. And so that is the music of my DNA. And also, songs were still coming from the stages of Broadway and becoming pop hits. Mm -hmm. And and uh, what is incredible about the, the experience of recording The Fellas is I recorded it with a student orchestra from Citrus College. Mm. This big band is made up of students from Citrus College, alums, and professors. And this is not the genre of the students. Uh -huh. Swing, hard swing is not the genre of these kids. But because they were thrown into the deep end of this musical pool and trained so magnificently by Bob Slack, who is the, the dean of the music department, this is a community school. This is a two-year blue-collar community school, but uh -huh. their music department is completely rocking and their studio is just unbelievable. So that's, so that's what I brought to the kids. And because they were trained to reach such high level of expectation is they brought it hard. And they know that they are part of a, a larger adventure because these are long musical lines and long lyrical lines and long sung lines. So they have to. So these are not short phrases, which is the aesthetic of today's pop songs. Mm -hmm. It's you know today's pop songs are rhythm driven as opposed to melody driven, and so the musical phrases, lyrical ideas are much shorter and are repeated. Mm -hmm. So it's it's much harder to develop a world. All of these songs have a developed world. And so for kids to accompany that, they're playing much longer lines because they're part of that larger world. So it's, um, and when I teach, 
my my singer songwriters usually. Um, I do assign them songs from the first volume of the American Songbook because yeah. I want them to know what kids their age were singing in the, you know, between yeah. the twenties and the early sixties, uh-huh. and it blows their minds. Yeah. They can't <laughs> figure out how people wrote that, how you would sing it. You know, yeah. you, you have to breathe differently. Right. It's wild. Yeah. yeah. So let me ask about something that's happening today that will sure. bring us back to I know what mm-hmm. Dara is dying to know about. Today we're premiering the video yes. that you did with Barry Manilow. Yes. For the song for me and my gal, which is on the new album. Yes, and I believe you have a long history with Mr. Manilow. I do. Barry and I met when we were jingle singers uh-huh. right here in New York, and um, we were part of a, a remarkable group of singers uh, in those days. Patty Austin and um, Nick Ashford and Valerie Simpson. We were all jingle singers, and um, we made a really good living. Yeah. And Barry hired me to sing on a demo of his, and. We've been friends ever since then, and when I approached him to create the only duet on the album, uh, he came up with the idea of uh, paying tribute to Gene Kelly uh, based on the original duet between Gene Kelly and Judy Garland from the movie of the same name for me and my gal. Mm -hmm. So we had a a huge, big time, and when he came to, uh, to listen to the final orchestration at Citrus College, his mind was blown. I mean, he, he couldn't believe this place because music education literally saved his life. So yeah. then he has the Manilow Project, which takes used instruments, refurbishes them, and brings them into public schools because mm-hmm. he really believes in music education. So, yeah, it was great. It was great. Well, it looks like you guys are having a lot of fun. Oh, in my video. God. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen oh it. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah. It's so delicious. Uh. It's really beautiful. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, he's also the one who introduced you to Bet. He correct? did. He was just um, he was her new music director, uh-huh. and she was playing at a club on uh, West Seventy Fourth uh, Street called um, the Continental Bathhouse, mm-hmm. and I was playing at a club diagonally across the street called the Focus, which I was a silent partner in. It was a very interesting, wonderful place, and so um, on their night off, they came to see my set. And she had just been on the Johnny Carson show for the first time and tore the place up. And, um, and so after my set, I went over to say hello to them, and he introduced me to Bet, And and I, you know, we were all so excited for her and uh, asked her what she was up to. And she said she's getting ready for her first Carnegie Hall concert. Wow. Oh and God. I said, wow, <laughs> I, you know, that's great. That's and, cool. Yeah. yeah. And, and I asked her, are you going to have any background singers? Yeah. And she said, well, I don't know. Would you like to sing oh, in back of me? That was the right question to ask. Oh, my God, And yeah. I said, I'd like to sing instead of you, actually. Yeah. But in the, So at, at that point, I agreed yes. to be your background singer, and, and Barry and I created uh, The Harlots. No way. Yeah. Wow. I was the toots in the middle. Oh, I didn't realize you months. were so me integral either. to that I being was, a thing. I yes. thought you maybe I just was on, like, were recruited no, no, to No, no, I was on her first album. I've seen that. Oh, me. wow. <laughs> so then all of the heart, like, that is that is so integral to the her sound then. Yeah. Like her whole oh, shtick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, so you were singing and dancing and. Yeah. It was, it was and a it, little shake. I mean, it was shaking. It wasn't yeah, dancing. Yeah, yeah. But, it, but was it, was, like, it, was, it was really fantastic because in the very beginning of her career, everything's about context, you know. In the very beginning of her career, she was galvanizing this marginalized gay audience mm-hmm. that was floating out there and in danger all the time. Yeah. And when she sang her, her initial anthem, You Gotta Have Friends, and brought them together, it was amazing to stand behind her and to the left of her and see the effect that she had 
on audiences. It was mm. transformative. Wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So would you say her performance was one of the b major takeaways for you as an artist? Oh, like she's what brilliant. Yeah. She's brilliant. And the thing is, is that it's not that she's only a magnificent performer. She's scholarly. I mean, she does exorbitant amount of research to understand how to get into something, whether it's just a song or, or something. I mean, you know, she and Paul Simon are similar in that way. They're very scholarly in their approach, and you don't know how it's going to end up, but it ends up really good. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's so, it's so complete a vision, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and that's, that's really something. So then how did you then move from that to a solo career? Well, I'd been trying to get a record deal since I was 15. Okay. And I would, uh, you know. Ambition, be, kids. That, Ambition. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, well, I was having lots of adventures uh -huh. while I lived in Manhattan. <laughs> you know, I was. I would uh, hope so. Yeah. Well, you know, when I was 17, um, it was the first season of Sesame Street. And oh. it was just shot a few blocks from where I lived. Okay. And I banged on the door, and, you know, the old stage manager opened up and said, what can I do for you? I said, anything. Just get me in the building. And so I became a gopher in the editing really? room. Really? Yeah, and the discussion for the, at the first season, I, it was amazing. wild, yeah. right? The, the discussion in the editing room for the first season was what would happen to the integrity of the show, Sesame Street, if they came out with a line of toys. Wow. Isn't that wild? Oh. It's a million oh years ago. Oh, my God, ago. that's fascinating. I know, right? And, so, and now so, that's how everyone makes all of, their money yes, in of that course. children's yes, world. Yes, yes. Well, that, that's, that's the truth. That's before, that wow. happened before all of the slices of the pie were discovered. Yeah. Oh but my I was God. doing street theater and wait, can I just say sure? when I first moved to New York, my like first week of living here, I took my resume to Sesame Workshop no. and oh. brought it to the reception desk. Yes. And I said, I really would love to work here. If yes. there's anything you can do in yeah. you know, the receptionist was like, well, it was, okay. Was, like yeah, trash bin, I think. Well, but it was it, thrilling because years later I was on the Muppet show and to actually work with Jim Henson and Frank Oz and those God. incredible yeah. artists and to see how hard it is to put one scene together. Totally. Wow. Brilliant. I know. Brilliant. Also, last year I finally got to go to a taping and of, of it was, yeah, was something Street? with Ernie. Mm -hmm. wow. There were like these two young singers who were doing a, a bit with Ernie. Mm -hmm. And so we went to do a billboard coverage of it. And it was so bizarre to see the puppeteers underneath That's Ernie. Right. Yeah. It was a little bit the like magic. I don't know and when you sing when you start to gone. sing to them, you start to get into a yeah. relationship. Yeah. yeah. Like this that. is this right. frog is real. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Never yeah. mind the like four year old men who are lying on the floor. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it's Amazing. funny. Wow, the different like little pieces and tidbits of your life that are just so like bizarre right. like that's right well you live in chapters you have, yeah. yes you live in yeah, chapters. i was gonna say it sounds like a memoir in the making yeah yeah, yeah. anyway so continue yeah so that was it that's so, it so you were but you were a gopher i was a Sesame gopher street. yes and um and i had done street theater and i parked cars for a theater company and i was singing commercials so yeah. um and i had been trying to do doing demos and submitting them to record companies and i was summarily rejected over a seven-year period and then I finally um, met Hank Medras and Dave Apple, and they were my uh, original producers. And they brought me up to meet the late, great Larry Utah, who was the president of Bell Records. And in those days, there were album labels and singles labels. And Bell was, an al was a singles label that was trying to expand into an albums label. Right. And so I auditioned in a tiny room like this uh, with a broken-down upright piano uh, for Larry Utah and his, his fellas. 
and I played a couple of songs, and I think I was really tired that day. And at the end of the audition, you know, I gave it everything I had. And as I was walking out, he said to me, right to my face, how important is this to you? And I said to him, I will do this with you or without you. Goodbye. (laughs) And that was it. That was it. I got the deal. Yeah. It was wild. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that seems to have been your MO, your entire career, your life. Like it's the nonstop aspect of (laughs) of your, I mean, what is the secret to just the productivity? I mean, it's the hunger. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the hunger. But what's the secret to keeping the hunger? Well, the hunger doesn't go away. Yeah. It doesn't go away. You know, at this point, I sort of understand how my body works and how my mind works because I've been doing it for so long. And I understand that when I'm finished with a project, my mind gets very quiet. But it is like a pet. It, I just let it sniff around until it gloms onto something and then it gloms hard. But I just let it be because I have faith now that, you know, something will interest me to the yeah. point of compulsion. Right. Uh-huh. And um, that's the way it works. When you're working on your 21st album, are you thinking about your 22nd? Or do you? I'm sort of. Are you able to separate? Well, like, this was. I mean, this this was such a gift that fell into my lap um, that I was I was thoroughly um, invested in it, and I I wanted the kids to. I just wanted to not lose a moment of me witnessing these kids playing mm-hmm. because it was just unbelievable. But now I'm starting to think of yeah. twenty seconds. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. It's interesting. You've talked about um, at different points in the music business, women or or maybe people in general who are who are the artists singing a song that was written by someone else. They don't really have so much control or, or you know, c- negotiation with the arrangements, and you mm-hmm. kind of come in and do it that way. And then you talk about Bet, who was sort of more involved mm-hmm. and I guess there's been sort of a an evolution of that mm-hmm. and I'm also just curious you did step away from live instrumentation for a while I did yes because um, in the music industry in the early 80s electronics started to insinuate themselves upon mm-hmm. record making and so really it, it became the arena and focus shifted towards the producer more than the artist I believe and so because I had been known as a balladeer with a room full of beautiful musicians, suddenly programming and buzzy, harsh sounds were part of the landscape. And because the record company presidents are only interested in what is current, and I was never interested terribly in what was current, but what was timeless. And so I always knew that these sounds were of the moment, and we would look back on them with a certain charm Mm -hmm. historically, but it, it wasn't what was necessarily bringing beauty into the world. And so I, I rode that chapter. And Sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. Um, that was like the 80s? Or it was the early 80s, yeah, in the mid-80s. It was um, it was a lot of that. Um, but then, you know, I had great success with You Should Hear She Talks About You, which was still, it was still very musical because my producer, Arif Mardin, was one of the greatest gentlemen and one of the greatest musicians I'd ever worked with. So he sort of massaged it. Um, to sort of, you know, have one foot in both worlds. It was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I feel like <clears throat> you think about today as being an era of pop music without live instrumentation. 
Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. It's amazing. You can make you can make a <clears throat> a record where the only person you're seeing is the pizza delivery guy at four o'clock. Right. <laughs> and you have no sense of totally. the collaboration. There's no musical discussion about how to bring something to life. Yeah. And um I really love that part. And when we were recording the fellas, uh you know, not only is the studio at Citrus College, it's also a teaching studio. It's enormous. But uh, my engineer, Tim Jaquette, is also the professor of audio arts. So there would be a small group of engineering students behind him all the time. And as he's recording a room full of musicians, I mean, a full room full of musicians, you know, he's asking quietly, he's asking the students behind him, why am I turning this dial? What is the effect I'm hoping for? And they answer him quietly. So the back and forth of what's happening in the room was blowing my mind. Yeah. Because it was all seamless. Yeah. Wow. Just That's all awesome. happens beautiful. Yeah. So are you performing now? You're doing all shows? All the time. Yeah. Yes, I just did a show last night at Birdland. We killed it. Ooh, nice. Love And um, I'm doing a show on Saturday night in Montclair, New Jersey. And I'm, you know, on the road. That's what you do. Are you? Awesome. Yeah. Throughout the fall? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So people can find you? Of course, on melissamanchester.com. There you go. Because that's the part of the world I am in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ever present. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the new album is out called The Fellas. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Classic. Beautiful. You. Beautiful Thank interpretations. Thank yeah. You. And I feel like this is a good album to come out this time of year when people are spending time with their families. Yes. And it's that kind of music you can put on for any yes. occasion and yes. people will be charmed and yes. happy. Absolutely. And for those who are interested in the history, there's yes. this yes. collection called Through the Eyes of Love, which is this collection of 43 singles that were released <laughs> while I was at Arista Records. It's very dear. Not too shabby. It's just a wild. An album just manifesting for you. I can't so nice. believe it. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah. Let other people do some of the work, you right. know? Unbelievable. You work your ass off enough. <laughs> I do indeed. Yeah. All right, Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, thank you. It's my pleasure. Appreciate it. And Thanks. I'm sure we'll see you back at Billboard again. Thank you. Bro. And uh, if we miss you, we can always look through these books. Oh, and my find God. You. Thank you, <laughs> Billboard. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks, Melissa. Thanks. Just keep it inside Learn how to hide your feelings Fly high and proud And if you should fall Remember you almost had it Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 